pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Carr, joined by my co-host, Artemis Alvosa. Howdy, howdy. And soon to be joined by a new co-host on the next episode. Who will it be? Keep an eye out on Twitter and, of course, this podcast feed to find out. First off, some shout-outs. Hugh Cashwack for his diligent reporting and essentially being the founder of the 1900 Report, which has since grown into the New Eden Report website. I really sincerely hope the 1900 Report becomes a EVE institution. Um, he is retiring. Thank you for everything, Hugh. Uh, good luck in your university, and I hope that your legacy of solid, timely reporting continues. My shout-out goes to our new Korean overlords, Pearl Abyss. More on that later. Our sponsor, Eve Onion. EveOnion.com. We break the news of Eve Online for as long as there is news to break. Can't wait to see their stellar reporting on this new acquisition. No poll. Let's get right into the big stories. Do we want to talk about the big war? Does it uh, does it have a name yet, Artemis? I haven't been following. Nope. Still no name for the largest war in the game's history. Of course. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> on the bright side, like... At least it's looking like. In fact, I don't think anyone would even suggest the possibility of goons not winning this one. And from what I can tell, nobody on the uh, on the losing side is like such sore losers that they won't give up naming the war. So we should have a solid name for this one without much dispute. At some point in the future, once it's won, I think we can get there. Unlike the current debacle with World War B. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The Casino War? <laughs> it's it's depressing. Yes, it is called World War B, audience. In case anyone is uh, at all unclear. Uh, but we do have some pretty major developments. Uh, the Holy League has withdrawn from the war. They have been deployed in the South. This is pretty significant in that they're a pretty high-end PvP organization with, despite being a wormhole group, pretty huge cap and super cap fleets that they can throw around. They're also just really good PvPers. Uh, so with them dropping out, it has allowed Test and Imperial Legacy to kind of take the initiative in the south, and they're pushing. They've gone from basically getting steamrolled to now slowly but steadily taking objectives in Tenerifus and Immensi. It's also worth noting that the Holy League was essentially a coalition of Hard Knocks, Kill Yourself, and We Form Volta. But We Form Volta, well, first of all, Hard Knocks didn't really deploy as far as major combat operations. They weren't seen as much when the Holy League deployed down south. They were up there to kick DRF out of the north, or pardon me, out of the east, and then we didn't see much activity from them. The big component that went down south with Skill Yourself was We Form Volta, and after it was announced that Holy League was restaging, 
we form Volta, the Alliance disbanded, and Volta, the Corp, the founding Corp, the Executor Corp, for we form Volta, joined Skill Yourself. We're seeing essentially a, a merging, a consolidation of power there, which is super interesting. Yeah, and something I, I, I wish would happen a little bit more often. Uh, I think it's a fair criticism that there are a lot of chiefs and not enough Indians in a big part of the game. Obviously not in the Imperial Legacy. They seem to have fixed that issue. But elsewhere, um, you know, there's a lot of disparate groups. Some of them just doesn't make sense to be separate. And, you know, i got to give props to the Volta guys going, hey, look, we can be a more effective with skill yourself and we like we have this shared culture these shared interests let's merge it down and let's try to be more efficient i don't think a, a reasoning was announced but i think that's a fairly good conjecture i mean even if it's not the reasoning it has to be a factor at play like you're not going to you're not going to disband your alliance and merge into some other alliance unless you really had confidence that it was a good idea right yeah fair point well, by doing that, you know, hopefully it'll be easy for them to coordinate, easier for both groups to recruit. Not that either group really had a problem with that. But, you know, it, it just makes standing together simpler. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for EVE having tons of diversity, but diversity where it makes sense. If your coalition is to the point where you have the same culture, you have the same long-term interests, uh, you're flying all these ops together, you guys have the same doctrines, you know, what? at what point does it make sense to just be one group? I feel like uh, Imperial Legacy has done that really well, especially with the Goonswarm side of things, taking you know alliances in their coalition as those alliances disband or have problems, essentially merging them down into one corp and having them joining the main alliance, consolidating the uh, the overhead, so to speak. And it's really helped them scale, combined with their special interest group format, where they can like have this huge alliance but still have these social groups with shared interests that can go out and do stuff and still form bonds with each other. They really Hello. have managed to get the best of both worlds. It's really pretty impressive. The Mitanni? Is that you? <laughs> Much love for Mittens, you know? For all of his detractors, like, look at the organization that he's built. It's pretty hard to argue with that. They have been the stablest, largest alliance in Eve's history. Arguably the most successful. Well, they're seeing some more success up in the north recently. Indeed. The pressure game has finally paid off. Goons have been knocking at the door of the north over and over and over again and have finally kicked it down. They have knocked out the iHubs in DWTAC and D06. These are significant because it disabled the system's Sinojammers, and each of these systems contains a staging Keepstar. The last time goons knocked down a Sinojammer and went in for a Keepstar kill, they got it after a series of climactic fights well, involving supercaps on both sides. One correction there. Uh, it wasn't that goons knocked down the iHub and got the Sinojammer. It was that the iHub w had not existed long enough to get a strategic index up high enough to anchor a Sinojammer to begin with. Basically, the Pardon. war started before they were expecting. So this is the first time that the Imperial Legacy has successfully knocked over an iHub in a Keepstar staging system and reinforced the Keepstar. But not the first staging Keepstar fight. Correct. Which I, I think is the real thrust of it. And it'll be interesting to see how ballsy the defenders are going to be on this one. Because last time, 
they went for a final fight, which I could only chalk up to them basically wanting to have a fight, like a desire for content, a desire for these super capital pilots to have the brawl they wanted. I suspect it left a sour taste in their mouth. I would be surprised if they had similar turnout to these Keepstar battles as they had to the previous ones, and I would be surprised if Imperial Legacy does not have a larger turnout to these Keepstar battles than the previous ones. So I am not expecting either of these Keepstars to survive, and I would... I mean, I still expect the Defenders to fight for it. I'm just not sure they're going to go all in for it yet. Well... I was thinking about this. If they don't, it really sets up, a, I think, a pretty demoralizing narrative that I'm sure the Northern Alliance leaders have to be thinking about. They lost the first stage in Keepstar. It was a fairly close fight. If they go in and lose this Keepstar, any one of these two, I figure if they lose the one, they'll probably wind up losing the other one. If that happens, the question then in the back of every pilot's mind is going to be, well, shit. If we couldn't defend that one, like, what can we successfully defend? Do I need to evac all my stuff? You know, it's it's one thing to lose a fight, but if that starts to become a pattern where you can't defend your staging system, eventually people are going to stop going to put stuff in the staging system. And we've already seen some alliances up in the north start to lose membership over this. Their morale has really taken a pounding, particularly alliances in Pure Blind, Declan. Um, like, you know that they're going to form up, but even if the case of, was it the the Keepstar anchoring Lagoons first deployed, it was merely the case that everybody's super capitals were formed up, but the decision was made not to jump in because they had scouting information on the hostile super capitals and said, hey, listen, guys, they outnumber us here. We can't win by jumping in our super capitals, so we're not going to whelp our super capital fleet. I think it's a, a tough pill to swallow when it's your staging keep star and not a hostile keep star that's anchoring to start a war. But I think it's a pill that the the northern membership would be capable of swallowing. Like they may want to make a final last stand. I'm not sure if this is that final last stand, and I'm not sure that they have any reasonable expectation of winning these fights. Then again, we just sort of have to wait and see who forms up how big, I guess. I mean, I would. it's a pill that I would ask my members to swallow if it was me. Like, there is no good reason to whelp your super cap fleet. But if they aren't able to defend here, you know, what are the what's going to change at staging Keepstar 4, at staging Keepstar 5? As these defeats keep happening... You know, like you mentioned, turnout's probably going to get worse for them. And as goons keep getting these victories, turnout is probably going to maintain or even increase. So their odds are only going to get, I think, a little bit worse each time it happens. Yeah. The only hope they would have is like at some point goons will burn out or extend their supply lines farther than they can like keep up with that kind of fighting. But goons have a long history of engaging in this kind of grindy warfare without it really taking a toll on their morale. I mean, that was the the whole mantra back in the day for for goons. Yeah, and I I would imagine it still holds true. With the with the Reformation, I'm not entirely certain. It all it all depends on the membership that they have gained. Is that membership actually fully converting to the culture? What is the culture like? Things like that, but. 
it'll be interesting to watch. Questions that I have are, will the shield super fleets once again move up? So the last time we had the fight in X-47, both, uh, well, the entire Imperial Legacy, who previously had their shield supers staged down in the south for protection of Delve, and so that Legacy Coalition could fight off their invasion, they moved them up for the timer. Uh, will they do that again? I suspect so. I'm interested to see how many numbers they get there, and also interested to see if they move back down, particularly Legacy Superfleet, if they move back down. Um, Fraternity doesn't have, as far as we know, or as far as I know, you may know different, doesn't have a sizable super capital force that would that would rival Legacy, shall we say. Or they can oh. even stand up against Legacy's regular capital force. Like, it is my impression of the scales we're talking about here, that Legacy could just blob out the... could essentially dreadbomb big enough the Fraternity Super Capital Fleet that they don't need their own Super Capitals unless they wanted them. I I don't think that is quite true, only because in such a scenario, Tribe will absolutely join in on that fight on Fraternity's side. That is a fair, that is a fair point. However... I think the shield fleet will move up for the only reason that I I don't see Tri and Fraternity really being able to penalize Legacy for making that move. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really well, on the back foot right stay. now. They're restaging to a new staging system that's further behind the lines. Uh, Test is doing a lot of work down there with subcaps. If they move the super fleet north, there would be a window for uh, for Tri and Frat to do something about it. But I don't think the momentum is such that that's actually a viable thing. The I have no doubt they'll move it up for the fight. My question is, will it stay? Mm-hmm. You think? If I were them, I would say no. I I don't think they're quite in a good enough position that they can do try and frat without supers at all. Plus, there's also the you know once these two things go down, they actually actually get knocked down another I hope somewhere. You know. What are they going to do until then? Just keep these super capitals spinning in space? Like, yeah, I don't think point. there's really value in keeping it up there long term. Especially not when they can so easily move it back up if there's another fight to be had. Mm-hmm. Well, easily, quote unquote. I mean, fatigue is still a thing. It's significantly better than it was previously with the new cap at 30 minutes on your orange timer. But still, moving from the south to the north is not a, not a light task. It's doable within a week. I think it's doable within a day, depending on how much. Well, doable within like a weekend day. If you've got your dudes for four to five hours, I'd have to find out how many jumps it is. Yeah, for sure. In any case, it'll be interesting to watch. My So there's going to be a timetable on how long it takes Legacy to regain all the ground that they lost in Immensity and Tenerifice. Once they regain that ground we get to see if they're going to push forward and make inroads towards Fraternity or uh, Triumvirate's territory or some other group down there. We can see if they're just going to hold up, build up, get their crabbing back on, or if they're going to deploy north and help out if the war is still going on in the north by that time. If you're them, what are you doing? If I'm then, I'm telling my crabbers to go crazy, and I'm having telling my PvP pilots, stick a clone up north and we'll have regular fleets up there for content. Keep the super capital fleet down south, basically do what goons do, 
have a cap super capital umbrella. We'll see how effective it is. Um, but it seems like Holy League, which are really the only major players who could theoretically kill or gank Rorkles under a super capital umbrella of legacy size, they're focused on Brothers of Tangra at the moment, based on killboards, so there wouldn't really be much threat of them coming down, even if you left your super capitals at home, I don't think. But then again, we're talking in the future, so who knows? That is an interesting point, though, that um, it seems the Holy League has sort of swapped targets from Imperial Legacy, or Legacy in particular, to Brothers of Tangra. Yeah, I think the... I mean, I don't have any official sources on this. What I suspect and what I've been able to glean is that they're just tired of it. They need a little time home to recharge. And uh, to be honest, they don't really have a dog in this fight. So of all the groups involved, you know, they have the least to commit. They don't have any emotional investment in it. They don't have any strategic investment in it. It was pretty much just for fun for them. And if the fun has stopped, no reason for them to continue. Makes sense. Well, we will definitely keep you guys informed as to how the war is going on both the northern and the southern fronts. Keep an eye on Twitch.tv this week for those Keepstar fights. I think uh, regardless of how it goes, Artemis is probably right. There will be fights. I I, I don't think that uh, the defenders, even if they don't throw everything at it, will you know just totally give up. Keepstars are very powerful. They're force multipliers. They're probably going to get some of the best odds fights they're going to have against Goonswarm in these timers, so they'll probably make use of it at least in some way. All right, let's talk about something a little more local. Wild War II, the war in Great Wildlands. It has been an eventful two weeks. Uh, whew. Well, uh, we've resumed the offensive. Um... Plague of Dissidents is the new alliance that is essentially formed from Ebola. Even though they claim that uh, Ebola's executor was the driving force behind this entire war, uh, all the mails and communications we have are from these guys, like the directors that wound up forming Pod. So we feel pretty good about just going back and attacking them. Ebola has also been attacking their uh, their former friends, and that's gotten pretty bitter. Ebola has communicated to the Cure that they have no interest in pursuing a fight here. They want to focus on Pod. We've asked them to agree to some super basic terms about how to behave in Great Wildlands. They're all for it. They want to be good neighbors. And so going forward, we have uh, agreed to not remove them or really take any more efforts to like reinforce their structures, interfere with them while they're trying to fight Pod. We haven't actually blued them, but this is as non-aggression pacty as it's probably ever going to get. Uh, that's basically a win for us, uh, although, you know, a bullet gets to remain, keep their head high. Uh, it's definitely getting what we wanted out of the situation, which is Ebola, especially with them splitting with Pod, they're no longer uh, like a threat to evict anyone, and they have basically renounced any intention of doing so. And they seem to be not, like super friendly but you know their diplomatic lines are now open they're talking with us and uh, that seems to be pretty good we're happy with that ebola's been living in 7q for like eight years ten years no one wants to really kick them out or even believes they would get kicked out even if we tried uh so this is a pretty good arrangement where everyone's cool now ebola's cool we're cool pod 
Not cool. Still kicking them out. We're reinforcing all their stuff. Anything that we're not reinforcing, they're attempting to unanchor, and then we'll try to reinforce some of that stuff too. Uh, they are condensing into a corp. The word is that they're going to join Try. They haven't actually done so as of this recording. It has been quite the week. Uh, also, new groups involved. Templus Calcif moved into... Uh, not. They haven't really moved into 7Q formally, but it seems like that's their intent. They're staging out of Losik next door, and they have been hitting structures in there, going in for third-partying. Um, tend to roll like a nice 25-man rattlesnake fleet, which is pretty cool to see. Pretty scary. <laughs> We've also seen groups like Shadow Cartel and Scourge and Purple Helmeted Warriors come in here. A couple NPSI groups have also started to roam in for these fights. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. People care about Great Wildlands for the first time probably ever. Yeah, Artemis, how's the fighting been for you? I mean, it's been pretty crazy. Um, I find the disparity between time zones as far as like the number of people around and how active things are and how high the danger is of getting dropped changes between like EUTZ and USTZ because like we've had situations where in fact we just was it yesterday we had a fight where we were looking at a timer in 7Q forming up for it and then Templus Calcif shows up they start shooting the, the structure that's going to die and then Shadow Cartel shows up Templus Calcif was in a Gila fleet Shadow Cartel shows up in a Legion fleet and then some NPSI group shows up in a Megatron fleet. And then Scourge shows up in a Loki fleet. And then Pod drops Dreads. And then Scourge drops Dreads. And then Scourge drops Supers. <laughs> and, it, and somewhere in there, an NPSI, like, nano, small gang, just a bunch of random, like, anti-tackle, solo logi, a super annoying double kitsun. Just a small group going around picking off stragglers showed up there as well. Like, the fights in EUTZ spiral out of control fast and have significantly more numbers than we see in USTZ, where if you have six dudes, it's a good night. And <laughs> we are just sometimes, multiple nights now, it's just been me and Alec out there with us and our alts and bombers reinforcing structures, making timers, getting stuff done. So it's it's been fun. The small gang still exists in USTZ, which I like. It's getting a bit hectic. It's getting hairy in EUTZ, though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely like a dark side of the moon situation. Like, USTZ, you're right. It's you, it's me, it's an alt. Maybe we'll get a third guy. We might run into a couple dudes from other great wildlands groups. But it's like, if you can field ten people, you're a blob, you know? <laughs> then you switch to EU. And locals hitting 150, 160, caps, super caps, just going crazy. And it's not even like two sides. I, I counted no less than five different groups all shooting each other at that last fight. May have been even six, depending on if those MPSI groups were together. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. Yeah. But it's cool. Like, uh, great. That's the first time that kind of thing has happened in Great Wildlands that I have ever heard of. Indeed, some nice content. Like Indeedy. when we when we say it's getting crazy, it's getting crazy fun. It's not getting crazy obnoxious or getting blobbed out of the sun or anything like that. Like yeah, 
we're going in there and we're facing T3 fleets that are have more Lodgy than we have DPS ships, but we're not out of options, because in order to do that, they're usually like short-range nonsense, and so we went in there with Feroxes and Munins. And so it's like, there's still ways to get your good fights. The best part about it is the structure everyone was fighting ever managed to wrap itself amidst all that craziness. We can go back in there and do it again. (laughs) It was nuts. That is probably the best part. So yeah, it's been good. Uh, Welcome Templus Calcif. The word from them is they may stay around. Uh, We're going to try to get one of their representatives on the next show. Hopefully that works out because they have a really interesting story to tell about their alliance, where they've come from, what they're looking to do now. They had been a faction warfare alliance since ever. That was like their whole identity. And they've dropped out of that. Now they're moving over to Great Wildlands. It's a whole new chapter for them. It's really exciting. We're happy to have them over here because they are amazing small gang PvPers. And uh, yeah, they seem to be super nice as well. So Looking forward to having them as neighbors. Looking forward to maybe doing some uh, small gang skirmishes with them. Should be good. So should we address the elephant in the room? I think it's time. Let's get the muskets out. Muskets? Yeah, for uh, elephant hunting. This is a pitchfork occasion. Wow. I don't think you're going to be taking down an elephant with a pitchfork. Well, yeah, but we're not taking down Pearl Abyss as EVE players either. No, but we might make them waste $425 million. We'll see. So, uh, CCP, this is the hugest news that has ever huged. Uh, CCP has been purchased by another gaming company, Pearl Abyss, a Korean company that makes Black Desert Online. They spent $425 million to do this, which is Way more than I assumed CCP was worth. Well, to be clear, so as I understand it, the deal hasn't been signed yet, so to speak. Like, negotiations have finished as far as I know. The story that's been given to me is negotiations have finished, they've agreed on a thing. The thing has not been signed because basically they're waiting to find out if CCP meets certain financial targets, like if they're profitable enough over a certain period of time or whatever. And that will determine how much the final amount is. 425 is sort of the max. So I would expect to see something a little bit less than that. How much less, I'm not sure. We don't have the specifics. We don't know. But 425 is the maximum that we should be seeing. And that's also why you should expect to see a lot of skins and plex sales and merchandise pushes and things like that in the near future. Because CCP is looking to pump up those recce numbers. Well, they're talking about it as if it's pretty definite. So if anyone just heard that and was thinking, oh, maybe there's a chance they won't sign, yeah, no, uh, it doesn't is, seem likely. Definite. It's just the exact numbers have not been decided. Right. Well, that's that's a lot. Uh, for their part, CCP and Pearl Abyss are stating, essentially, and again, this is a lot of corporate speak, but they're looking to make use of CCP's IP and take advantage of how well they engage with the community and learn a few things from them while CCP is trying to learn how to scale like Pearl is and, you know, get a bit of their marketing and a few other development uh, learnings, I guess, to try to make their processes uh, a bit better. That is a whole bunch of corporate bullshit because we don't really know what's going on. Um, That could be true. (laughs) 
certainly CCP has a lot to learn in terms of merchandising, in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, CCP has done a great job of scaling the game, but it's mostly been by throwing hardware at it. Perhaps Black Desert, which runs very graphically intensive games, um, excuse me, Pearl Abyss, who runs Black Desert Online. Black Desert Online is a beautiful, beautiful MMO. It can fit a lot of people doing a lot of beautiful, crazy moves and with way out there outfits and familiars and all these weird mechanics all going on at the same time. They do know about scaling. So maybe there is something that can be learned there. Black Desert's online community is perpetually unhappy, particularly with how harshly they're monetized. Maybe Pearl Abyss wants to learn how CCP was able to do that and not have us ride in the streets, except for that one time that we did that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what really needs to happen here is EVE Online players need to go over and teach the Black Desert Online players how to riot properly. I think that's what needs to happen. I mean... You want to talk about what EVE players can do to fuck with this company? <laughs> like, I hope CCP has briefed them on the levels of weaponized autism in this game, because I guarantee you that is something that we would do. Like, infiltrate Black Desert Online to fuck up their community <laughs> so people stop spending money over there. Uh, I could easily see Goonswarm sending a group to do that. Something something or slash star citizen something something. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I mean auspicious that that's the wrong term. What CCP is looking for in this acquisition is previously they were funded by venture capitalists and the like. Now they are funded by a larger gaming company. So theoretically, best case scenario, they are they have somewhat lessened expectations on their monetization on their profitability because Pearl Abyss knows the gaming space if you will they could share some insights gain some abilities or uh, what's the term I'm looking for here gain access to hardware to knowledge to industry useful gosh freaking darn it forget it CCP is looking to benefit Hopefully, they're not going to be meddled with too much by Pearl Abyss. That is best case scenario here. Frankly, I'm optimistic. <laughs> well, they are saying that at least this is the official public line that Pearl Abyss has no interest in meddling. They like how CCP has been running things. They just want to see that keep going. I think that's probably a half truth at best. Um, Thinking of other acquisitions that have happened, uh, some of which I'm familiar with, like Amazon and Twitch have a great relationship, for instance. I very rarely, if ever, see Amazon. I know people like go out on Reddit like, oh, Amazon's making them do this, Amazon's making them do that. It's not really like that, but it's, you know, we still, they own us, just like Pearl Abyss now owns CCP. CCP's got to answer to these guys. They got to you know, any big plans or big moves they want to make, Pearl Abyss is going to be signing off. And especially with spending all that money, they're going to want to know how they're getting that money back. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, I, I just don't know. I don't. I want to be optimistic about it, but looking at Pearl Abyss's track record, and it's just so hard to not worry that that is going to happen. 
Well, my, my, my thought process is this. Compare the venture capitalists who invested in CCP as a pressure for profitability versus Pearl Abyss as a pressure for profitability. Now, you can say all you want about Pearl Abyss's track record with Black Desert Online and whatnot, but I think that that track record is actually a good thing because Pearl Abyss has seen the damage that can be done if you mishandle monetizing your player base. And so I am optimistic that CCP will be able to go in there with experience handling monetizing a player base, particularly a shrinking player base, and Pearl Abyss will learn from that. Also, being in the gaming industry, have a bit more understanding with the limitations on how much a gaming company can be profitable under certain time constraints. So it is it is my hope that Essentially, they've gotten a more lenient loan shark. <laughs> yeah, that's possible. And certainly, uh, and people have brought this up on Reddit as well, there are some areas where CCP has absolutely failed monetizing, such as leveraging Eve's IP for merchandise. Absolutely. I it want would be... a freaking Eve Beanie. Pearl Abyss, if you're listening, I need an Eve Beanie, and I need it now. <laughs> Ship models. Like, not just the battleships, all the ships. To be like to, to think about think about Gundam and all of the franchising that Gundam has been able to roll out with their models. Is Gundam a Pearl Abyss thing? I no, but it's it's like an Asian massive IP. It's like okay, and I I know Pearl Abyss is not a Japanese company; they're a Korean company, but that kind of holds true. Like any industry over there, like anime or music. It's not just what you're putting out. You know, these K-pop idols, it's not just the song. It's the picture books. It's their, like, live shows. It's a whole merchandising empire. When something big gets big in... When anything gets big in Asia, excuse me, it's never just the thing. There's all sorts of tie-ins that roll out into it. The industry over there is very good at that kind of thing. They understand merchandising. They understand the value of an IP in ways that I don't think CCP has quite grasped over the years. And that Pearl Abyss, who manages a very anime-ish game in Black Desert Online, will hopefully be able to like communicate to them and unlock the potential of being able to sell clothes, being able to sell figures, being able to sell models, being able to sell uh, perhaps co- branded stuff from players like an official Goonswarm skin or something like that. These are all things that CCP has not capitalized on that they could capitalize on. There's nothing really stopping them. And that could be a significant source of revenue from the existing player base, which is pretty rabid. It's small, but rabid. There's also the hope, fingers crossed, that Black Desert Online, you know, it's admittedly had its issues with monetization, but despite that, has still had a pretty good growth record. Maybe Pearl Abyss can teach CCP how to actually make the game grow again with this new model that they've got, this freemium model with the Alpha Clones and Omega subscriptions. Perhaps the combination of CCP's know-how and Pearl Abyss's know-how can unlock something that CCP wasn't able to do on their own. Again, that is the absolute best case. The worst case scenario 
is Black Desert Online's monetization vehicle rolls its way into EVE, and EVE stops being fun for everyone. We're talking uh, combat buffs that you can buy for money and that get nerfed over time, so you have to keep buying the new thing. We're talking exclusive ships you can only get through purchase, basically. Uh, Possibly... You know, not losing your ship for money? That could be on the table. Like, if you die, your ship it doesn't disappear. So, these are some of the nightmare scenarios that potentially await. And I, for one, if I see anything like that, am dropping Eve like a bit, the bad habit that it is. Because at that point, <laughs> like, it's not going to have, it's not going to be the same game. I don't know. I think we should go shoot a few monuments for a little while before we leave. Like, cause a ruckus. Oh, for sure. We definitely cause a ruckus. And I'm all for downloading Black Desert online and, you know, going all uh, Russia active measures on their community just to cause as many problems for them as possible. But at the end of the day, we'll probably have to find a new game. On the bright side, for at least a very small portion, maybe even just one person in the EVE online community, this is the best chance they've got for cat ears on your avatar in Eve. <laughs> you know, if that is the worst thing that happens, I'm fine with it. <laughs> if if Black Desert Online creeps into Eve and it creeps into Eve in the form of you can make yourself look more anime and get yourself cat ears and like all that stuff, Hello Kitty skins, fine. That's fine. I live with that. Don't touch the gameplay. Any cosmetics you want. Pink, swirly ships, ships with gifts in them. Uh, maybe you get a side ship that flies with you, like a pet, but it doesn't actually do anything. I'm fine with it. Don't touch the gameplay, please. Cat ears for all. You're here to hear first. <laughs> all right. Uh, host highlights? I'm going to say... Uh, Making peace with Ebola. I imagine that's not the highlight that uh, most people would expect, but I, I handled a lot of those mails and uh, felt good. Felt like the right outcome. And uh, looking forward to better relations with them going forward. Looking forward to a robust and diverse Great Wildlands PvP community, which they by all rights should be a part of. So I'm happy about that. Feels good. Can I just quickly mention why it feels so good with this outcome? Because, like, you've won the war, you've gotten a bunch of nice kill mails, you're going to continue to gain, like, money moons and territory as much as you want, your allies are going to gain it too. And best of all, active PvPers' content for you for the future is staying. You didn't kill the group, the group is still there, ready to give you kill mails at your heart's content. That's mm-hmm. why it feels so great. Not to be understated. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> My host highlight was not EVE-related, uh, and that is because I've been watching the Overwatch World Cup, which has been happening this weekend as well as weekends previous and weekends in the future, and Team USA beat Team Canada 3-1. to one. Woo! Happened just a few hours ago. It was a it was a pretty interesting match. I was slightly concerned about the reverse sweep after Temple of Anubis, but USA pulled it out 
Got some good BM in there as well, so I'm I'm pretty happy. USA! 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 I'm not gonna lie, the amount that was chanted on stream, like, in the actual live crowd, was obnoxious. <laughs> the amount of, like, guys, we get it, we can be patriotic, but don't be obnoxiously patriotic, okay? If there was ever a time winning a championship over Canada... Well, they didn't win. They didn't win a championship. This, so this is group stages. It means they oh. get higher seeding going into the playoffs. I think, based on the way it works, they're going to be in separate sides of the bracket. So the only way they see each other again is in the final. But previously, in previous years, the USA has had to face Korea going into the playoffs and lost to Korea going into the playoffs every year. So this is US's best chance to finally make it to the finals of the Overwatch World Cup. so mm, Making it to the um, finals and losing to Korea sounds very familiar to the League of Legends players. Korea looks disputable this year, though. I, we're, we're on a tangent. This is an EVE Online podcast. <laughs> I have been saying that every world for like... Actually, no, that's not true. The past couple of years, Korea has not been unbeatable. But yeah, anyway. Let's wrap it up. This has been Declarations of War. Go to declarationsofwar.com to participate in our poll and leave a comment. Capitalist Army is recruiting, guys. Get in on this great, great Wildlands content, especially like East Coast, West Coast US. Come hang with me and Artemis and like our handful of Australian and West Coast time zone players. We got a pretty cool vibe going on, and we would love to get 10 pilots and bully everyone else in the region. So you could be one of those lucky ten. New Roll, host uh, hype. huh? New host hype. Yeah, new host hype. Next episode, brand new host, and hopefully a member of Templus Calcif. We'll try to make that happen. If we can't do it next episode, hopefully a future episode. Uh, but yeah, get hype, guys. It's gonna be great. Looking forward to it. Uh, as always, join Capitalist Chat in game. It's Capitalist Space Chat. Hang out with the Corp. And wherever you are, good hunting, listeners.